Hello and welcome everybody to episode three of the 2021 Racing with Rob and Roller season. I'm Josh Roller here in Charlotte where it's been a little rainy still over the past week. Rob Peters is joining me as always still under a little bit of snow but less of it currently in Indianapolis. It's had a couple warm days up there. And, yeah, thankfully uh, most of it's melted. Yes. Um, I actually had a hard time getting out of my car, out of my, my car out of its parking spot on Friday. Uh, I had to uh, do a very interesting thing where I would throw it into drive and then immediately into new, into reverse, and that's how I was able to get it out. I had to kind of do a friction force thing. Huh. It was easier yeah. than just shoveling myself out. I was about to say, do you, do you have a shovel at your uh, at your apartment? Does anybody have a shovel in their apartment? What do I need I a shovel? I don't, I, I, just making, I don't know. It's Indiana. I, would, <laughs> I, I, probably, I would be the guy who would be living in, in an apartment in Indiana and have a shovel in my in my closet just for that circumstance right there, just in case. Just um, so also with that, you know, with a lot of us in the United States are experiencing some crazy and harsh weather conditions. We hope everyone's all right. We hope you're staying warm and safe. And uh, maybe this brings you a little bit of joy in this time as well. As mentioned, today is the third episode of 2021, and it's quite convenient and unplanned. Uh, this past Thursday, prior to the races, marked the 20th anniversary of the day we lost Dale Earnhardt. And today's featured paint scheme will honor him. Uh, other topics Rob and I will hit on today's show. We'll break down Daytona Road Course weekend, uh, including an ugly end to stage one of the Xfinity race and a surprise winner, uh, some guy who can't do a burnout. All right. Uh, we'll give our thoughts on Netflix's The Crew and uh, how late race cautions dictated the outcome of the Cup Series race on Sunday. And there's much more. I'm excited for a couple questions in the upshift downshifts uh, segment in particular, Rob. But why don't you just go ahead and get started with Rob's Racing Report. Yeah, guys, it's uh, Rob's Racing Report time. That means we talk about the news, discuss the news, and really just have fun with the news of the past week. So, jumping right into it, starting off, as always, eh, mostly as always, with Formula One. Uh, we've got a new season of Formula One Drive to Survive coming to Netflix. Uh, season 3 starts streaming on March 19th, so look out for that. I can't wait to hear Gunther Steiner oh, swear. Um, <laughs> you can't. I can't wait I to hear Gunther Steiner swear. I love it. Uh, Haas F1 team has retained Pietro Fittipaldi as its test and reserve driver for the 2021 season after impressing team managers at Bahrain and Abu Dhabi at the end of this last season, uh, which is good. Let's be honest. It will They'll they'll probably need to use him by by the before the end of the season. I I I am foreseeing Mazepin racking up some penalty points. Uh, um, Portuguese Grand Prix is on for Portimao on May 2nd. That's the TBC date that uh, was not filled by the Formula One, uh, for, by the FIA yet. And now it is on. It is going to serve as the third Grand Prix of the 2021 Formula One season. Uh, and how about this? This is going to be interesting. We've got a track change coming up yep. for Formula One. Yep. When Formula One returns to Albert Park in Melbourne for the November 21st Australian Grand Prix. Changes to the circuit will have been completed. The following changes will be made consultation with current Formula One drivers and former driver Mark Webber uh, following sim simulations. Uh, the turn slow 9 and 10 complex, which is 
will be turned flowing switchback, which will make entry to already quick turn 11 and 12 complex even faster. So this is like the backstretch, essentially, of Melbourne Park. So if you're envisioning Melbourne Park in your head, this is like the very top of the racetrack. This is the kind of backstretch. It's going to, uh, instead of being a hard breaking point, hard right-hander and then left-hander, it's going to be a more smooth, uh, probably you're more likely to let off the gas or even who knows, probably take it full throttle. Who knows? Uh, rather than having to get such a hard breaking turn. And I think that'll probably be better because that, that turn was never a, a passing zone to begin with it. If anything, just kind of slowed the cars down and really kind of broke up, I guess, uh, some of the flow that the track had. So I think this will bring the flow of the track a little bit more, especially, and make that complex a lot faster, mm -hmm. uh, which will be a lot cooler, I think, to watch those cars slide through there, especially uh, one last time, basically, with these high downforce cars. Yeah, maybe um, have a DRS zone there, too. That would be bold. That would be that bold. Would be very That's bold. I'm just saying it would be bold. Yeah, uh, turn 13 exactly. will be widened and the outside line reprofiled to positive camber to create multiple racing lines. Uh, there will also be widening work at turn 6 to provide faster run on the lakeside drive and turn 15 for to make it harder for drivers to defend in the final sector. Turns 1 and 3 will also be widened on the inside to create more viable racing lines. That's good because, good lord, turn 1 can narrow up way faster. Than you than anybody any driver is going to expect, especially when you're trying to fly in there and get as many positions as you can. I mean, you can run into that corner three, four wide, and before you know it, a hole that was there is going to close up. And yeah. if you don't get out of the throttle and bail, you're going to lose a wing. And yeah. the start to your season, in most cases, the end to your season, in, in this case, is going to be a little bit derailed. So. Uh, definitely, that'll be a good thing uh, overall for drivers. I think it'll probably create a little bit less carnage uh, on on so. on the start. Uh, that'll be good. Uh, so that's that for Formula One news. I don't really have anything else. Caru's uh, racing system announced their drivers today, but they were really underwhelming. So I mean, Giharme Slamaya is going to join, I guess, Alessio Deletta at, at the back. So I mean that. I don't even remember who else they, they added, but that's the only feeder series news I can think of right now. Um, so we're, I'm going to move into SRX. Um, Michael Waltrip is the latest addition to the Superstar Racing Experience driver lineup, which already includes Tony Stewart, Tony Kanon, Paul Tracy, Bobby Labonte, Willie T. Ribs, Bill Elliott, Ernie Francis Jr., Marco Andretti, and Elio Castroneves. Now this is interesting because uh, I don't know if you caught it in Daytona 500 pre-race. Uh, Mikey was talking with uh chris myers a little bit talked about how he was slimming down and mm -hmm. and you know there was some speculation and illusion there by mikey himself that he might be getting back into a race car yeah. so yeah. this uh announcement over the past week kind of didn't come as a big surprise especially the hints that they were dropping on it was like oh he's a daytona 500 winner hmm Who's an act? Who's a non-active Daytona 500 winner that would probably be willing to drive an SRX? Mm -hmm. Hmm. I all the way. Like, who else are you, uh, is it gonna be? I mean, it, it, Dale Jr. is not gonna do it, probably. Maybe no. Will, but Tre they, I saw Trevor Bain's name get mentioned. Um, of course, Matt Jeff Kenseth, Gordon, maybe. I don't know if he would have done it. Gordon's name's been dropped a lot, but I don't think he'd do it with with the Fox Telecast. just done racing. I think Gordon's just done racing, unfortunately. I'm still waiting for Casey King. I'm still that would hoping be a good that, addition. I I'm think that would be a solid addition. Tony Stewart's 
connections with Casey Kane and their their yeah. love, mutual love of uh, sprint car and World of Outlaws, yeah, uh, and dirt track racing in general. I would hope that it would bring them together because uh, I would I would forgive Tony Stewart for beating Casey in the two thousand five Brickyard four hundred if he did that. Hey, hey I, Josh just rolls his eyes and, and <sighs> slams his head on the floor. He can't believe I'm still bringing that up. <laughs> Uh, there's something that happened 15 years ago that, uh, I, Hey, trust me as a Gordon fan, I got plenty of those, uh, moments. So I, I mean, I feel your pain, but I just love how you, you know, that, that, w- that would be good. I'm, I'm agreeing with you. Casey would be a good addition to the SRX and, uh, I, oh, how are they choosing numbers? Have they even talked about that? Or are they just cars? I don't know. I have no oh, idea how they're going to do I would it. Love to I don't know. The- the Casey Kane Racing Four out there. I love the four. the the the, the, the numbers of Casey Kane Racing are just brilliant. If my mom hasn't taken down the posters in my old room yet, I have a poster up there of Casey Kane's Red Bull that I got out of a NASCAR Illustrated. NASCAR Illustrated had posters. Yeah, and every every single edition they had posters. I had like had two. The one, Mo- some issues there were two, but I I think most of the issues I had there was only one. Okay. Uh, and I got most of my posters in my room came from those, and I hope she doesn't throw them away because I'd love to I, I'd love to have them or do something with them again. I put them into a collage or something because those are cool little pieces of artwork. But I have a Casey Kane one. Um, I have Kyle Busch one. I have a Joey Logano one. Um, and uh, this one may surprise everyone. Uh, but they did put and print a Kevin Conway one that I proudly displayed. Um, so whenever anyone came into my room, they would see giant extends logo right <laughs> up there. Uh, that's not yeah. Well, well, for a high schooler to have on the wall. Well, you know, I I thought Kevin was a cool guy. I just thought he was slow. I loved Brock Beard calling it calling him uh, at the end of his. Uh, starting lineups he would say and rounding out the field in the ford tortoise it's kevin Con- the ford tortoise he called him the ford tortoise and it was the greatest the truthfully the greatest nickname in the world and then he stopped driving fords and i was like well, well now what do we call him i still love the guy i think he's a great guy he is still let's not forget he is a lamborghini super for trofeo champion i want everybody to remember that he is a yeah. champion you have reminded us about that before in a previous featured paint scheme. Uh, I'm sure I, if I remember correctly, when you brought up Kevin Conway's paint yep. scheme, Kevin Conway, my boy, he's a champion. Don't, don't ever knock him. He's also got, uh, he, he, if you ignore his NASCAR career, he's a good driver. <laughs> I promise. It, it's saved from Milka Duno. If you ignore her IndyCar career, she's a good driver. I'm just saying. If you ignore Milka's entire IndyCar career, she's not a bad driver objectively. But the problem is you throw that awful, awful IndyCar seasons in there, and she looks bad. Kevin Conway's the same way. Everything before and after NASCAR has been good, but the NASCAR stint was just so bad it tainted his entire career. It's what happens. Uh, Speaking of IndyCar, let's talk about IndyCar news here. Capstone Turbines will be the primary sponsor of James Hinchcliffe at the number 29 Honda for Andretti Autosport for six races in 2021. So that will join uh, Genesis. That is the primary sponsor of that. Uh, And how about this? Did you ever think that uh, IndyCar news would mention Dale Earnhardt Jr. outside of NBC's idea that he should cover the 500? We should send him to Indianapolis because why not? 
maybe Dale Sr. thought about running Indy once in a dream. That's why. That's why that we put him there. I think that's their explanation for that. Dale Sr. thought about racing Indy once in a dream in 1984, and now uh, because of that, Dale Jr. has to be on NBC's Indy 500 coverage. That's the only explanation I can come up with it because he makes no sense to be on the coverage. Um, but Good outside problem. of that, outside of that, he is involved with IndyCar in a real way. So now here we go. He has a legitimate reason maybe to be on the coverage now. Uh, he has joined the ownership group behind the Music City Grand Prix in Nashville and will help promote the event per Adam Stern. What do you think about that, Josh? I just I don't know why I'm asking you. I, I, I like it. I, I really do. I think Junior likes racing in Nashville particularly at the fairgrounds, really at the fairgrounds. I won't go into too much more detail of that. If you know NASCAR, you know he doesn't, he isn't a huge fan of the super speedway, but I think, I think it's a great idea. And, you know, he's wanting to diversify, you know, he's retired. He's got, he's got his earnings and he wants to spend money on it. I like, it's a great idea. And, you know, I, I like him being in part of the Indy 500 broadcast myself. It's a good crossover. I mean, NBC does it to to draw NASCAR fans in. Let's let's be honest. You know, they want they want you to get that numbers up to go there to watch. That's that's the whole that's the reason. But I thought he did a good job. I now Rob is is thinking, Josh, shut up, dude. I, I mean, I'm not saying shut up. It's just like it makes. Okay, do you remember like the first? We think differently now, but do you remember like the first? A few races of ESPN where they had Brad Doherty there and it just seemed awkward. I was like, why is he here? I mean, he got better as time went on. And especially after he, especially, you know, when he started to get more into it. But like the first time he was there, it was like, like the first three races of ESPN's coverage. I was like, why is he here? I mean, it got a while. It, it, it got better as it went on. But I was like, the first, I was like, why is a professional basketball player who likes racing now qualified to be an analyst of racing? Like, if, 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 you know, should Denny Hamlin go be, go, uh, go, go join Kevin Harlan on the NBA on TNT after he's done racing? Oh, like, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Definitely. Oh, my God. No, no. <laughs> I'm kidding. No. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'm just trying. Uh, I'm poking the bear here, folks. I'm poking the bear. Um, but I know I I, I I understand your point, Rob. I I do I do. Brad right. Doherty again. I'm not saying anything bad about him. He, in hindsight, in retrospect, and and even now, he has turned into a fantastic analyst. But those yeah. first few races were very awkward, and they were very like out of place. And that is all I'm saying. He is now as and because he does own that race team, he knows more about the ins and outs of it. And he's yeah. clearly always been a race fan. Not saying anything bad about Brad Doherty. He's my favorite, one of my favorite basketball players. I'm sorry. I still love Reggie Miller, uh, because I live in Indiana, and I still love Louis Scola for reasons that nobody quite understands. But, you know, I am just being honest when I say that. But I'm gonna move on because I think I've just put my foot in my mouth. Um Fans have been given the go-ahead to attend the 2021 Indianapolis 500 with the number of who will – that number is uh, still de- to be determined. So we don't know who's going to be uh, – how many people are going to be allowed at the Indianapolis 500 this year. But we do know that we will have some fans. So that's the best news. Uh, now I just hope that they allow uh, media credentials to be normal so that I can go again too. Um, and then, hey, how about this? This isn't exactly IndyCar related, but Tony Kanan is going to be racing Brazilian stock cars uh, in his home t- in his home country of Brazil. It's going to be his first time really racing 
down in Brazil since he really left to go run Indy cars in the first place. Uh, and since IndyCar has been back to Brazil. So um, this is gonna, that's going to be great for him. He's got uh, full sponsorship down there. I think he announced it on his Facebook or Twitter today. Uh, so good for him. Good for Kanan. And remember, you know, he is still racing. The ovals for uh, Chip Ganassi is number 48, sharing that ride with Jimmy Johnson. So he's still going to be there. He's going to be at the 500 this year. Uh, he's going to be in SRX. Uh, so you're still going to see Tony Kanan. And until we can figure out a legal way to watch the Brazilian stock cars, hopefully in English, not in Portuguese, uh, I, I guess that's the only way we're going to be able to watch Tony this year. But, hey, just happy we get to see him uh, at all. Right. Um, moving on to NASCAR news here, Las Vegas Motor Speedway has been given permission to host fans for all three days of action on March 5th through 7th. Uh, that's this uh, race coming up here in this next two weeks. Two weeks. Uh, no exact number was given for how many fans will be permitted at the track. Las Vegas only stated that the number of tickets are limited. So I'm going to assume as soon as those tickets sol- sell out, that's yeah. going to be the number that we end up knowing. So yeah. they're going to sell however many tickets that, that they sell. Um, Connor Daly's returning the NASCAR Camping World Truck Series, not only for a second race in the Truck Series, but a second race at Las Vegas Motor Speedway. He will return to the number 44 Nice Motorsports Chevrolet. That's pretty cool. Yeah. Um, and then speaking of that exact truck, uh, that will also have Jet Nolan behind the wheel in six events in the Truck Series in 2021, which began, which began this past week at the Daytona Road Course. Wow, I didn't even realize he was in that race. Uh, the remaining five races on the truck schedule for the 17-year-old from Florida, I don't know who this guy is, uh, are Richmond, Circuit of the Americas, Bristol, Martinsville, and the finale at Phoenix. Josh, do you know who this guy is? I've never heard of this guy. I, I, I admit, I, I don't. I, I had not heard about him until I saw the press release. So, uh, And I think he, he ended up in the grass at one point uh, at during the truck race, unfortunately. I, so. I didn't even know he was in the truck race. <laughs> I didn't know. Um, Sam Hunt Racing in the Xfinity series has added John Hunter Nemechek for an undetermined number of races in the number 26 Toyota. So that, that car is just going to be the all-star car for, for real, except for this past week when I'm not sure who was in it. Um, Chris Wright. So Chris Wright. Ah, uh, yes. The meteorologist from Indianapolis. Um, <laughs> wrong Chris Wright. Folks. He's joking. Folks. Wrong, <laughs> wrong Chris Wright. Wrong Chris Wright. Um, I, I think I think there's a lot of differences between that Chris Wright and our Chris Wright, not just the obvious one. Um, Ross Fenway Racing has become the first NASCAR team to be carbon neutral per an RFR release throughout the 2021 NASCAR season. Castro will power the Roush Fenway team by supporting Roush Fenway's carbon reduction and offset programs across their operations, both on and off the track. Roush Fenway President Steve Newark's, Newmark says... Said as an organization, Roush Fenway has always been environmentally conscious. Our hope with this program is to demonstrate that every business, small or large, and regardless of industry, can contribute to a, the to address global climate challenges. We hope to set an example and highlight the small steps by many uh, can make a real difference. I think I read that right. You did. Roush Fenway Racing achieved carbon neutrality for the entire organization, including operations. Uh, two race teams and race cars for a period for the period between January 1st, 2020 and December 31st, 2020, according to PAS 2060 standard as verified by an independent third party, ERMCVS. I think that was a bunch of just legal jargon I didn't understand. But I hope you guys understood it or somebody out yeah. there understood it. But your host had no idea what, I, what he was reading. Um, and then this final piece of news here before I move on to our featured paint scheme. Uh, NASCAR has suspended 
Chip Ganassi for one race after breaking COVID protocols and fined him $30,000. We should should clarify, it's the individual Chip Ganassi, not the race team. The race team is still allowed to continue operations at normal. It's it's just that Chip Ganassi is not allowed to come to the track because he broke COVID-19 protocols, which I get, and definitely NASCAR, I know, is not playing around with this. (laughs) They just find... Chip Ganassi, $30,000, the guy who could probably give you whiplash. <laughs> okay, all right, all right, okay, okay, Josh. Um, Let's go ahead and jump right into the featured paint scheme because I think that's everything we have for the news today. Yeah, so let's go ahead and jump right into the featured paint scheme. Uh, and Josh, why don't you tell us all about what it is, even though they already know because you mentioned yeah. it. <laughs> I, I did kind of spoil it earlier. So um, Rob and I thought we'd do favorite Dale Earnhardt paint scheme part two because we did this actually last year, last April, around his uh, birthday. And uh, Rob, I'll share what you chose. And I'll share what I chose too. So Rob last year chose the Peter Max rainbow scheme. He drove in the 2000 All-Star race. And then I chose the uh, Bass Pro Shop scheme. He drove a few years prior to that, also in the All-Star race. Uh, both two very good looking cars. Won't we'll, uh, always see diecasts on them for sale uh, on the We Care Telethon in Kokomo and Howard County, Indiana, up there. Um, so that was our previous picks. And Rob, why don't you chose the one that you uh, went with this time around? All right. So this one might seem kind of obscure, not really obscure, but kind of like. Why would you pick this in a say in a way? But I really like the scheme, and I really always have. Uh, and so back in 1999, Dale Earnhardt's black number three got a new paint job. Not a drastic one, uh, but one simply where they put a sign on the hood. A sign uh, uh, for GM Goodwrench service. Uh, and this sign appeared to be illuminated, and the black hood made it look as if it was lit up at night. And I don't know why this appealed to me as much as it did, but I do have the die cast of this car, and it's one of my favorites. So basically what you're looking at is a standard Dale Earnhardt car, except you have this sign that's kind of crooked, I guess, at, at kind of an angle a little bit. Um, and then uh, you have that, and then uh, the sign is is white, obviously, and it says GM Goodwrench Service Plus, like I said, would say on Earnhardt's hood in the, in the first place. But... I, I like this one because it, it really does look like it's a sign lit up in the night sky. And I think that's just so cool. That's like not something that people would think to put on the hood of a race car, like almost make it as if it's like an art project, you know, not only yeah. you're not just, you're not just advertising for GM Goodrin service. You're actually like making art out of the sign in a way. And I really appreciate that. I really like how, cause you know, we, do these featured paint schemes all the time. I mean, these could be very well considered like art. I mean, this is an art discussion in some cases, I would yes. argue. Uh, and, and so I look at this like a genuine work of art, uh, a, a race car genuine work of art. Um, and so I'm a big fan of that. And I've always liked that. And this this car is is very infamous, I should say, because it's the same one that uh, Earnhardt famously spun Terry Labonte out at Bristol in 99 at the night race. Um that is so it's a, it's an infamous car or famous mm-hmm. car whatever you but outside of that i like that car anyway so i'm just always happy whenever i get to talk about it um yeah that's a good one i actually have a bull a jeff gordon bull uh really that i don't i don't remember where i got it from but it has jeff gordon's rainbow car and then that car of earnhardt on the bull 
like a, like a picture in, insert and i'm like i think i have it i know i have it it's uh um i think it's packed away now but uh yeah that was that's a good looking car I remember when i first got i'm like oh that's an interesting looking deal in our car because the only one i'd seen is like the Wrangler car or the or the the black number three we all know and love um so uh i really want to go obscure i want to dive in like i want to find something that how that i didn't even know you go. i didn't i know even know this car existed because that's now that's how i know it's a forgotten paint scheme so that's how i chose mine today so from 1982 to 1994 dale earnhardt competed in 136 races in what is now the xfinity series he won 21 of them but one of those races yeah he didn't win he drove the number three shocker but it wow. was sponsored by lowe's foods all right <laughs> okay and it was green it was green um, it was a number three Lowe's Foods Pontiac. He qualified 27th and finished fourth. Um, and uh, he was uh, uh, at Daytona. He, in third place was Rob Moroso. Uh, second place finisher was Rusty Wallace, and the winner was Daryl Waltrip. All right, so those are the only three guys he beat him that day. Pretty good mark for Rob on that on that one. He had to feel high and mighty about that when he just beat Dale at Daytona. Um, yeah. The car was green around the front and the sides and the rear. The bottom was uh, kind of had the white lining along the, the bottom, and then the top, including the hood and the deck lid, uh, were white. Uh, Earnhardt owned the car himself. The car, however, was not the number three style that we all know. It was kind of like a, I thought of it as like a high school jersey number. Um, that's kind of the best I could describe it. Um, so yeah, I, I thought I just thought like that. I gotta go with this. By the way, I can't remember now which race. I should have written down. But he did drive like the same sponsored car. Uh, only it was number eighty-seven as well. Uh, that that race it was an Xfinity Series race. Um, and uh, I I did want to note this as well that subsequent diecast produced that I that I that I uh, saw on the internet. Now I don't know if these are fan made or. Or actually diecast produced. I have a feeling the fan made, but they're all Chevys. There's not like a Pontiac one. It was a Pontiac that day, not a Monte Carlo that he drove. So just a note out there for everyone. And Rob, I I, I realized I sent you a text just now or a few moments ago. You saw it and like look at your face and like, oh crap, I forgot you Skype off your phone. I wanted to honor mention because I saw this today and was reminded about this story. I can't remember where I first heard this, but for those of you who don't know. It almost was Dale Earnhardt, the man in blue, because GM wanted to have a blue car, but it was kind of, they were convinced to go with the black car because it would pop more on the racetrack. And I have to agree, the black number three looks a whole lot better. Not even close. The the blue three, I'm like, okay, that's intriguing. That's cool. Let's, let's not close. And then I wanted to share... Last week, Rob said jump to a tide ride, and Richard, Motors, Richard Petty Motorsports uh, jumped with Eric Jones in the number 43 Chevrolet for the Bristol Dirt Race. They will have a tide ride for you, Rob. A little, I'll be a little oh, modified. Um, I thought I mentioned that. Uh, yeah, I knew they had to put the Petty Blue on it. Yeah, yeah. And they had to put the the the, the, the roof isn't the same as a, as a traditional tide ride of the car. Um, I had to mention this because... The week before, he made a comment about Love's Travel Centers and Michael McDowell. We all know how that turned out. Tune in next week to see what comment he makes this week becomes into reality. Or some sort of twisted deal. I, 
we're two for two right now. And maybe I just jinxed it. I mean, honestly, if if my inane ramblings have end up actually being truthful, I am not going to be upset by any means at all. I will have no problems whatsoever with my inane ramblings becoming coming real. All right. I hope they do. I hope they do. I I have great inane ramblings. That would be that'd be kind of cool to have something like that happen every week this year. Right? I won't, I won't lie. That would be pretty it'd be pretty cool. But let's move on. Uh this kind of review or quickest segment of, of the week here. Uh the week this week's winners. Just kind of going over a review here before we get going. The truck series on the Daytona Road Course was won by Ben Rose. He goes for two for two to start 2021. Uh, the Xfinity Series was won by Ty Gibbs. We'll talk about that, how shocking that was. And then the Cup Series, Christopher Bell arguably pulled the upset of the weekend. Except the Ty Gibbs won the Xfinity Series race. I forgot about that. I, I don't know. I would kind of argue there were quite a bit of up. There, there were two at least two upsets this year. Yeah, this there week. were those were two pretty big upsets Saturday and Sunday. So top takeaways here, Rob. Uh, we'll start with the truck series, but I was not able to watch. I was at work. Uh, and, so was I, but I still watched it. <laughs> well, I can't watch a phone in stock shelves, unfortunately. That's a little difficult, and my boss might say, hey, what's going on? I just want to say... Headphones and MRN? I can't have headphones in while until oh. 10 o'clock at night. Yeah. Oh. And I, yeah, I know it kind of it's a bummer. Um, but I just want to say, Ben, ben Rhodes um, and Thor Sport and Toyota, off to a good marriage. Remarriage, I guess I should say. Yeah. Um, yeah, man. So good for him. Uh, seemed like the highlights seemed like an exciting race. There's a couple interesting accidents. Uh, and I like that it was kind of a rain race, too. I always enjoy rain races. Yeah, it was a little bit of a there was a little bit of a drizzle that started the race. So they started on wets, which was already a good thing. So the, the start of the race was actually really good and really fun. Um, again, there's just no reason to have stages on a road course. I know I beat that dead horse every time we have a road course. And and Matt Weaver tweeted the same thing. He said, yeah, you know, we we've, we've got to make these better. I I wish what they would do is, you know, they could still have stages, but instead of having hard. stage breaks, you know, you just keep going. Right. You know, you who, who's in the lead at you know, who's at the lead in the lead, who's at the top ten at the end of stage one? Okay. Those are the people they get stage points, but we let the rest of the race play out, you know. Yeah, you, know, you or it, time stamp the lap. All right. Yeah. These, these guys were the first ten cars across the line this lap. They get they get points and, and the first place guy yeah. gets a playoff point. Simple as that. Yeah, I, I wish that they were capable of just doing that. Oh, they are because capable. I really and truthfully think that it, at least at the very least for road courses, I would think that it would be possible to do at a road course. You don't have to stop the whole thing. Because we'll we'll talk about this later, but even with the truck series. The truck series went into multiple overtimes, mm-hmm. and so many of those. Well, I understand the grass was wet, so you had to go out there and retrieve retrieve trucks. So some of those, I I would argue, were necessary, but the majority of them were probably not necessary at all. Uh, you know, you don't need to be throwing that many cautions. I don't think we needed to have as many um, overtimes as we ended up ha- having in the truck race because the truck race was still good. It wasn't a bad race. I don't want to say it was a bad race or anything. I enjoyed it. I thought it was an entertaining race, especially watching the trucks race in the rain mm-hmm. on rain tires. I mean, that is, I mean, that's a treat anytime you get that right. Um, 
I don't. I can't remember the last time rain before. Have they? Not for twenty some years. I think I I think they might have done it one of the years they were still racing at Watkins Glen. Okay, they had. I rain think there. that they might have had at least one race where they ran in the rain at Watkins Glen. Okay, in like ninety nine or two thousand or something. But I I don't think that they've done that since. Okay, at least not on not that I can remember because uh, I, I know they've been in a road course. I mean, Canadian Tire was the first yeah. road course since. Yeah, for, well, they quit right. going the road courses after 01, and they returned right. with the road course at in Canadian Town Mercer's Park in 2013, and none of those have been rain rain races. Right, so that's what I'm saying. So I, I think it would have to be one of – I think it was a Watkins race, like yeah. at the very yeah, turn yeah, of the century. Yeah, if it was, it had to be Watkins Glen because I don't think there's a rain race at Heartland Park, Topeka. I don't think there's a rain race in Sonoma. <sighs> Definitely uh, not. And those were. The I don't think. I, I know. I've watched the race at Portland that they had. Oh, Portland! It actually, Portland. be a really good place for the trucks to return. Sometime it would be Portland. It would be. That'd be cool. Portland. That actually was a really fun race. Trucks. Actually, this is. I just gonna sound weird, but actually, I would argue that stock cars and stock trucks put it would put on a put on a better show at Portland than any cars do. I I would concur. I would concur. Portland's Port, Portland's a good track. It's a great track. It's just I think it's better suited for heavier cars because it has such heavy braking points and flowing turns. Mm-hmm. So I agree. I agree. I've watched the track I, I, I But that backstretch, dude, is still tricky. I can never figure out the right time the the braking point. I can never figure out the braking points on the backstretch at Portland. Never. I'll always overshoot it. I'll always overshoot it every single time. The, the last, the last turn, I should say, the last turn conflicts. I'll always overshoot it uh, every time. Um, so that was, uh, I guess, yeah. How about that? This was weird. Carson Hosevar ran into the sand barriers at pit exit. I wanted I to say this. To him. I, I want. I kind of wanted to defend him there. I'm surprised this hasn't happened more because that is a very. Oh, it's that ridiculous. Has to be the most interesting pit exit really. in all of NASCAR. All right. First off, there's no wall as you exit. Then you go into this narrow lane. It's not even. It, it's yeah. it, it's quite literally a country lane, and there's sand barrels right there. And if you just sneeze inside the car, you're going to hit the barrels as you come to the wall. I can't. I mean, it, it, you hate for it to happen. He's on a professional driving level, but I mean, it, it, this could have happened to Chase Elliott. This could have happened to Austin Cindric. All right. I. I Maybe the chances are. There. I mean, you're right. I'm not saying it couldn't have happened to anybody. I just think it's funny that it happened. Period. Because the and then they call so, it this team. It's it's small. It's small for a they don't for a DPI car. That's what I, I mean. I that lane is. It does not matter what car is going down that lane. It is very tight. How I, are I, they not widen this? <laughs> they, yeah, I don't know how they haven't widened it yet. It just seems treacherous, no matter what you're driving. I agree. Uh, I'm surprised more like. It, it's it's amazing to me, like a driver who comes in and is on his like second stint or whatever, doesn't like and is more or less kind of lost focus at this point. Has not just plowed into it. Yeah, it's maybe like, it has. We just ha- we just can't think of a one or one. Doesn't you're pop probably right. Mind. It probably happens when everyone's asleep and nobody watches it. That's probably true. It's probably what happens. Yeah. Uh, you want to talk about the Xfinity series now? Because I don't yeah, know what I, to say about it. I mean, yeah, other I, than holy cow, it was a good race. It was a good race. Was, I enjoyed it. That was a great race. Um, I loved it. The biggest thing was this whole week, I think, Rob, I don't know. We didn't really talk about this last week, but 
I was thinking this, this this entire week leading up to this, this is going to be the AJ and Austin show. These two guys are going to put on a show. This is time for, for AJ to go out there and say, hey, I'm here to win races. I'm here to win a championship. And we we got it for 15 laps. We got it for the they they Fox had the right on him bumping him then in the You see the jab down. AJ spinning like in oh. the replay tells an aerial replay tells a different story. And I think uh, personally, I think both drivers were to, were uh, were at fault here. All right, AJ was a little too anxious. He's he's, he's, he's wanting to drive now. I want to win this playoff point. You got your five last week. I want a playoff point, and he drives him down. Okay, and he could have. It's but listen, one. if he gives him the bottom lane, but instead he squeezes him down. But then Austin had the had didn't wasn't thinking long term either, and he kept going. Going That's at it, he's exactly like he's driving me down. He's driving benchmark you should ever be. Trying to. Oh. I'm going to back here. We, we've got a long way. We got two whole states. AJ's day. I don't think that Ty Gibbs, who ends up winning this race, wins this race if Austin has a has a complete car. Because we saw the downforce issues that he had. He had zero downforce, especially on cold tires in that infield section, and that's where Ty Gibbs was best in him. But he could roll through the backstretch bus stop and the front stretch chicane really, really well. Austin could, even with that that damage that he had. Um, yeah, I, I would argue that the all three races race winners probably shouldn't have been race winners had your certain you're, things come into play. You're absolutely right. You, the truck race should have been won by Sheldon Creed. Yeah. The the Who, by the way was unsponsored. Yeah, you, we texted a little bit about that. I uh, I did, I think Bob Pockers tweeted it that he said that the the Chevrolet sponsorship of last year was just GMS kind of being a good partner and throwing it on there for a lot of races. So Sheldon Creed just wins the championship. He's going to be a Johnny Benson is what you're saying. Kind of right. Yeah. He's, He's going to yeah. be that champion who nobody sponsors and which they I just kind of fizzle out. Which I, which I think that's absolutely crazy that no, that no one has jumped on board even just for a few races with that guy. Johnny Benson won the 2008 truck championship and you've never heard of him since. Cause Bill Davis racing shut down. Not just because Bill Davis Racing shut down, but because nobody picked him up and nobody sponsored him. You had the defending champion go into the 2009 season without a ride.
That's right. I guess Bell Davis Station did shut down completely after 08. I thought they shut down in 09 sometime. Okay. Oh, yeah. Well, anyways, yeah, the Xfinity race should have been won by either AJ or Austin. Right. In the, in but the Ty Gibbs race. drove a good race. He drove an excellent race. Let's talk about that. He drove a fantastic race. If, if you would have told me on Saturday morning, hey, by the way, Ty Gibbs is going to win this race. If my future self, I don't trust my future self coming back telling me, Ty Gibbs is going to win this race. You need to put money down on it. I'm like, bullcrap. I've watched Dude. enough Ty Gibbs to know that I would I would believe my future self. I would not have believed my future self. Now, if this had been on an oval, maybe, but on a road course? On a road course, I would not have believed myself. But when he had a heck of a car, uh, he I think he learned a little bit driving behind a few well-experienced uh, drivers, particularly Centric there at the end. He learned a trick or two um, and, and put it to good use. And also, I think sometimes the lack of experience and lack of wisdom as in youth can be good because he drove it into places. He plowed through grass. He he yeah, did the job, the operations of Daytona National Speedway's job. I mean, he he had at one point on that last restart, he literally had dirt over his windshield and couldn't see for just brief second. But that brief second could have turned into disaster. Kid's been um, a wheel man, and we've seen it. It, it. I think the thing about Ty Gibbs is we've proven now it's been two. We've it's been one race, yeah, in the Xfinity series. And of course, you know, I think this is, we, I, we noticed this about Harrison Burton about around the same t- time, like about one or two races in where it's like, oh, okay, clearly something was just wrong in the truck series or you had the wrong people around you or something. You're actually a good driver. A truck start. And I, I'm not talking about, I'm, I'm oh, comparing him to Harrison. Okay. You're just going to someone who, you know, people, you know, okay. So people think talk down on Ty because he's like, oh, you're the drive you 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 have the only competitive car in the field basically yeah. and that's yeah. why you're winning okay no we're now seeing that's not true you're just really good you know if you had the same competition around you in arca that you do in xfinity you still you still would have won it it just would have been probably more convincing to people you yeah. know what i mean yeah. uh and I, I i this that's why i mean even the way ty drove in the closing laps there i was like yeah this kid it doesn't surprise me. I understand that it's on a road course, but most, if not all, drivers now kind of have to learn road courses before they get to NASCAR. And I think Ty just incorporated that into his into his life and into his racing career that he's like, I got to run, you know, whatever it was. I got to run more road course simulations. You know, I got to hop in the simulator and run as many road courses as I can. Or, or very well, he could have just said, oh, I'm just going to go out and run some fun Trans Am races that are just a gentleman driver or something. Not Trans Am, but like just sports car, Miata races or something. As a gentleman driver, just run in there and get some experience on a road course. Something very simple that a driver like him would very easily be able to do, given his background and assuming his sponsorship situation. Um, it probably would not be that hard for him to do, and that's why it doesn't surprise me. I think that he's somebody who incorporated that into his his learning when he was growing up and going through the ranks and you saw it in arca his ability to run and perform well on tracks of all different kinds of shapes and sizes you know whereas most arca drivers you see them and they're either really good on 
super speedways or they're really good on short tracks, but they're never good on both. And Ty Gibbs was the kind of guy who was like, oh, this guy's really good on both. And that's usually how you could pick them out. Pick the good ones from the bad ones. The guys who are going to last a long while from the guys who aren't. Are they really good on speedways? Well, okay, yeah, that's great, but you got to learn how to run short tracks too. Okay, mm-hmm. you're good on short tracks, but you got to run on speedways too. If they're not able to do either, then they're not going to make it. Ty was able to do both and then some. I think he even did well in dirt as well. Uh, so it, it wouldn't even surprise me at this point that Ty, it didn't surprise me that Ty Gibbs won the race. Um, what did surprise me was, like we said earlier, was the Cindric and Almendinger move, which I still think was stupid. I don't understand what either of them were doing. Uh, I, I understand your point of what you were trying to get at and what you said kind of, and, and your explanation of what happened. But I just think putting my driver's hat on, if I'm in that position, what is the purpose of tearing up both of our cars? That was my for point. a stage point. That's my point. Like, what? Why yeah. couldn't you? Why, why couldn't have AJ have yielded the lane? And why couldn't have Austin realize this guy's not giving me the lane? I need to yield. I need to back off and just take well, second. Yeah, that's. I mean, your point was you were explaining it. You're and and I understood the explanation behind it and everything. And and I I just felt like that's a dumb explanation. I mean, I think in. Not your explanation, but I was like, if the drivers are accepting that as what happened, I think that's a dumb way for them to explain it because quite simply, both of you drove with your heads up your butts as soon as you got out of that chicane. I mean, Austin had a great entry, but yeah, that from that, I just, I, I couldn't believe it. You know, it was, it just seemed just wasteful. Wasteful. It was. It was I, wasteful. It was a complete waste of sheet metal. It ruined both of their races. It, it also ruined Riley Herb's race. Let's not forget about poor Riley here. Okay. Uh, Riley Herbs could wreck. I wouldn't care. <laughs> well, but it's the, the the point I'm trying to make here is that Riley pulled the invasive action and yeah. and you know they pointed out again, they pointed out. On the broadcast, who was up in the broadcast booth? It was Drew Blickenster and Joe. Joe it was Lugano. Drew Blickenster for making his his commentary debut, which by the Joey way, Joey Logano. Very good job. I thought he did a very good job up there. Um, I like Larry I, Mack better I, still. But I always I, will, but I know you always will. But I thought he did a solid job. But uh, they point out we need to have turf. We need to have turf. No. Get rid of the valence. Get, bring back the valence. Get rid of the splitter. That that fixes that issue. Now, with the bunch <laughs> rain they had, it the, they're always dodging the primary issue. They're That's always dodging they're the always dodging issue. it. I know. It's okay. like, hmm, what's tearing up these in front of these cars? It's the grass. We should get rid of the grass. No, just change the freaking cars. Now I know that they that they pointed out in the five hundred that there's these little divots or big divots, not really little divots in the front stretch uh, infield tribal grass of Daytona for drainage purposes. Now that can be a little bit of a factor, but still in a general sense, what happened to AJ should not have ruined his day. Should not have ripped the car off. I mean, if it just, that's Dude, wasteful. If you spin through the grass, the biggest concern you should have is, is your radiator being clogged up and your tires being shot. It should, you should not be concerned about whether or not the entire front end of your car even exists. Well, yeah, 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 exactly. You shouldn't have a Jamie McMurray issue where, like, oh crap, my my splitter's bent just a little bit. My day is done. 
You know, the no rest of my car is fine. No matter how hard my team jumps up and down on the splitter, it won't go that's, back straight. That's the only good thing about the splitter is that you get to see these crewmen doing this really awkward gymnastic move on the front of a car. That's that is that is to me the only good thing about it. Other than that, thank you. Needs more springs. All right, so, truck, so the Cup Series now. Um, I mean, Chase, Chase is Chase got robbed. Chase got robbed of a fifth I don't know if Chase got robbed. I think NASCAR just spiced up the show. That was Chase. Chase yeah, was going to win that. There was plenty of that being said on Twitter. Chase was going to win that. Fact of the matter is. Chase is going to win that race, except NASCAR doesn't understand the concept of a local yellow. And even a bunch of people earlier today were posting a bunch of Twitter stories about how when NASCAR doesn't use the local yellow, like, oh, we don't want to do it. We're just going to go full course yellow and stuff. Look, let me get let, let me tell you something, NASCAR. Uh, you guys don't need full course yellows for cars going off. You don't. They don't need it. I mean, um, if the car is stuck they in the grass, the cart. if the car is stuck in the grass. I understand. That's a legitimate reason for why you would have a full course caution because they do that in Formula One. They would throw a full, a full I, at the very least, a virtual safety car or a full safety car in that situation. Yeah, that's acceptable. You know, I would love but, to have a virtual pace car in NASCAR. Yeah, but cars going off and spinning and hitting the wall and getting dirt up under the track and all this other stuff—that's not worth a caution. And NASCAR repeatedly threw cautions. When everybody drove away, everybody drove on away. Everybody mm-hmm. kept going. I didn't think anybody was leaking oil. If someone's leaking oil, then sure, throw the caution. That's well, fine. But if yeah. somebody's not leaking oil out onto the track, who cares? Why are you throwing a caution? And then, to make matters worse, they decide, hey, here's the greatest idea in the world. It's starting to rain. Let's throw a caution and let the teams decide whether or not they want to put on rain tires or not. That's what, not so what's the point of the caution? Deal. At that point, what's the point of the caution? You're literally just bunching everyone out. You're saying, all right, everyone, we're calling a timeout. It's a yeah. referee's timeout. That's that what was it is. literally stage four. Yes. I mean, that oh was just gosh. a random fourth stage they threw in there. Well, it, yeah, it's like it's like how they they shouldn't. The only time NASCAR, I don't even, you know what? Not even, not even that. I don't even care. They shouldn't have to declare a rain or or, or wet or dry track. They shouldn't have to. That should just be straight determined by the team. It's like last year at the Roval, well, where NASCAR said, "Hey, hey, it's the, we're leaving it up to the teams. Do you want to start on slicks? Do you want to start on on wet tires?" Your choice, or the or only time they should have to declare that is when it's fully wet, like it's raining. Okay, you have to put on on what on rain tires right like now. A, like as Formula One, come in. they would declare the race a wet race, and then if it dries up, then it's like okay, put on slicks, go for it. You know, uh, at that point, go, no, I say you could do it, go for it. Race at your own risk. That's what I would say. Race yeah. at your own risk, and, and that's what you I know? didn't understand. And the thing about it was, is too, is it wasn't even raining that hard. No. It wasn't I, like, I, like, I like I'm watching the highlights. I'm watching the the the, the in car camera. Like, oh, we got a caution. Looks around. I'm like, it's sprinkling. But and it also goes back to the point that there's always a rain shower. There was only uh, like a, a part, there was only like a little portion of the track that was wet. I know, I know. It was just I, I, Chase, Chase Elliott has. I, I'm t- my friends and are are and, and I'll admit it. I, I, I'm Chase Elliott guy. He inherited Gordon's car, so he's kind of you know I like Chase. But 
It's fine to like Chase, bro. Yeah. No, no, nobody yeah. cares unless you want your medal or something. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm just, I'm just, I'm just prefacing here. But I the, want my uh, Casey Kane lover medal. That, that that one you do wear proudly. That one, yeah. that one you wear proud. But, but I can because he's but, retired. So it's not like I'm doing. It's not like I have any conflict of interest. He's yeah. retired. Nobody cares. So I, I can, I can love the guy as much as I want. The um. How many races has Chase been robbed of? How just think about that. Quite a bit. Quite a bit. And this one he should have had his first win a lot sooner. That's for sure. Yeah, I'm thinking Chicago Land 26, maybe Michigan 2016, even Michigan 2016. Uh, but I'm still not. I mean, I'm not even a Chase fan, and I'm not getting over Denny dumping him at Martinsville. But that was in 2017. He didn't get his first win until 2018. I'm saying, but I'm thinking there, there's a race in 26. There are a couple of races in 2016 he could have won and did. Well, yeah, that's true. But that's but my, the one that comes but, my mind is the number one, one race. That's the number one one agreed. But my point is, is that this one might take the cake because there was a series of just the, the rain caution is one thing. But the only other legitimate caution after that was for Tyler Reddick, whose car was on fire. All right. The best yeah, car I, in the field caught fire. Yeah. I loved that car. Gave me Scott Wimmer vibes. I have to say Scott Wimmer for my favorite. Scott Wimmer fan, Isaac Jekyll. That was a good pull from the uh, paint scheme depths of the world. I like that. I agree. I did not put two and two together on that one. That's exactly why I said it was the best looking car in the grid. Because it was like a throwback to, and it wasn't even supposed to be a throwback. I don't think. No, I don't think it was either. No. Um, I did want to just say here because we've we've talked on that that one enough. I think you know just just definitely good racing this weekend. We'll talk a little bit more about that. I think uh, here in a in a segment or two. Um, but uh, Christopher Bell obviously won the race. All right, we we haven't even mentioned that here. But Christopher Bell ended up winning the race past Joey Logano with uh, two to go coming to the white flag. Uh, did get uh, his first career win, thirty eighth career start in the Cup Series. And it's only the second or third time in history that the first two races of the season have been opened up by first-time winners. And it's kind of easy to pick the first two out. 1949, the first season, and 1950, the second season of the NASCAR Cup Series. So in 49, it was Jim Roper and Red Byron, and 50 years, Harold Kite and Tim Flock. So that, you know what? That's pretty good company for Michael McDowell and Christopher Bell. I'm just happy that we've opened the year with two different winners. Two I different winners, like two first-time to... winners? Yeah. I always like to continue. I always like to see how long NASCAR can get along in the season before we have a first-time winner. And usually, what I, I, I'm the longer we go into the season with different winners, usually the more satisfied I am as a fan, at least. Right. Um, it, not necessarily if I'm a fan of one driver. Yeah, I'd, I'd, I'd rather see you know Casey Kane win them all. You know what I mean? But yeah, at the same time, if you're just taking a step back as a, as a NASCAR fan in general, or as just a, a fan of good racing, that's what you want to see. And so to start the season out with two different winners, but not just two different winners, two different first time winners is even better in my opinion. Yes. Very, very good. Very, very cool. Um, for sure. And it happened at the same track, two different circuits is pretty, pretty cool for Daytona to have on their market there. So, uh, we'll move on here. Outstanding performance, Rob. I'll let you go first. Uh, this is going to sound kind of weird because I rag on his dad all the time, but I'm actually giving it to Cody Ware. Uh, top 25 finish in complete garbage and finished on the lead lap. 
Imagine if he wasn't racing for his dad. Seriously, this kid, uh, Cody Ware, is 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 a good road racer. Uh, he does. He runs twenty four hours a day. Tony runs the Asian Le Mans series again. Unfortunately, with his dad's team, but he's a good road racer. He's got he's got skills under under the hood there. It's just you know, his car is the equivalent to a gremlin, and it's just not worth racing. But you know, he, again, top twenty five. He out outpaced is. All other Rick Ware teammates, handedly as well. I mean, Balicki had a problem, I think, but outside of that, he still beat the rest of his teammates. I know he Actually, beat Davidson. Actually, he did. he did. Are you looking at the? What, what did he do? I'll look at it right now. Who twenty third place? James Davison. Oh, screw him. Whatever. I yeah. Know. Okay. Well, I was going to mention that after you were done. Again, Davison is a different. Okay. Let's compare James Davison's level of road course experience to Cody Ware's. Cody Ware finished two spots behind him. I know. I know. You're saying I'm just trying. I was trying to correct everyone. Now for I the, feel for, I should have picked another viewers here. He didn't finish. I'm trying. I'm trying so hard because Rick Ware has given Roman Grosjean a spot, and I'm trying so hard not to rag on his team as much as I do. So I'm going to sit here and give a top a shout out to his son, and I didn't pay attention to the results well enough to realize Davison finished ahead of him. I guess. I was looking for where he finished because, look, I I looked at him throughout the race and I was like, dude, look at Cody Ware. He's up there in like top 15, top 20. He's running pretty good. You know, he's, he, I should say not, I mean, it's relatively pretty good. He's not wearing, running where I expect him to run. He's outperforming right. his equipment is what I'm saying. Yeah. And that's something that I don't think, I, I don't think his other two, Non road course experienced teammates were able to do because I know Balicki didn't. How did Gase do? Uh, Gase finished. Balicki finished thirty sixth, and Gase finished twenty seventh. Okay, so he did outpace both his his non road course experienced teammates, which is uh, uh, still good. That's important. That's important. I mean, it's James Davison's done at pretty much all of it, so of course he's going to have the upper hand. I would even put him as a better driver than Cody, but. Cody's doing good. Again, Cody's a good driver. I just wish he didn't race for his dad's team. He could be so he could have so much more success, I feel like, if he just branched out and went somewhere else, man. I mean, I understand he wants that cup experience. I understand he likes racing for his dad's team. He likes helping it out. But man, if imagine if he was like in a JD Motorsports ride or something. He could be running top 15, top 10 in the Xfinity series every week, I bet. I bet you that. I bet. I bet you Cody Ware in a JD Motorsports car or something will be running top ten, top fifteen, at the very least in at the very least top twenty in, in Xfinity, as opposed to running thirtieth and thirty sixth in Cup. I'll agree. I'll agree with that. My outstanding performance goes to Ryan Priest for the simple reason he's unchartered, underfunded this year, and he's got two top tens to start the season. He didn't. He 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 avoided the mayhem at the end of that race, and he's beat his teammate Ricky Stenhouse Jr. in both races. Um, I'm sure the I don't know how. There's different ways to budget a season, right? Um, I don't know how the 37 team budgeted this year out, but I hope that with you know where I forget where he finished. I'm clicking on it right now. Where he finished. In the Daytona 500, finished sixth in the Daytona 500, and a ninth at, on the road course. I hope that number for, of 24 races this year has increased, um, maybe one or two. Um, 
because uh, I think I think Ryan Priest has had a really crappy 2020. Especially there was a stretch there in the summer where he could not stay off the wall, and, and it wasn't ever really his fault. He just had some really crappy luck, especially that Kansas wreck. Oh my gosh, I won't forget that one. But um, yeah, Ryan Priest, shout to him, uncharted. Um, un- underfunded for the complete season. So hopefully, you know, he can get, keep this little run going. Um, and uh, even if it's top 15s, you know, just keep showing, hey, I'm, st- I'm still here. I know how to drive. I can keep my car clean. I can finish races. So that that that's my outstanding performance there. And I do want to give an honorable mention because I saw this tweet after I picked this. Rob, did you see this tweet from Daniel Suarez? I might have. Refresh my memory on which one it was. Oh, was it the one? Yes. Yeah. Yes, I do know what you're talking about now. Yes, I had to remember. With about 25 laps to go, poor Daniel Suarez got sick inside his helmet. That's politically correct for he threw up. He did what Mark Webber did one time. Yeah. Mark so, Webber had food poisoning at a race, I think in, in Nuremberg, maybe, and it was, it, was, it was downpour, too. It was raining. And so he he, he threw up in his in his helmet after having food poisoning the day before. And I guess it wasn't that bad because, you know, again, it's raining. So I guess the rain just kind of cleaned up whatever, <laughs> cleaned up the fire suit a little bit. I guess. Not, I, I don't know. That would have been miserable, though. I cannot imagine Mark Weber trying to drive at the Nürburgring in the rain with food poisoning. And. I, I can't imagine what, what Daniel Suarez went through, either of them. I mean, good night. So good job, for Daniel. I don't think there's too many people. I mean, the team I've said, dude, you're pulling in for in the pit stop for this. But not too many people say, okay, yeah, you can pull in and come back out. But he he finished 16th. Didn't, didn't finished uh, Carl Edwards once do that? And he came into the pits and he asked him to just hose him off. I can't remember that. I, th- I think what happened was Edwards was got a crash damage, and one of the crush panels got knocked out, and so he got, like, all of a sudden, you know, this, it can happen. Yeah. The carbon monoxide can get yeah. in, and it, so yeah. he got a little carbon monoxide poisoning as we threw up. Uh-huh. And so he's coming into the pits, and he's asking, can you replace the crush panel, and can you just hose me down in here? Just take a hose, stick it through the, win- the window net, and just kind of clean me up a little bit. I think I remember Carl Edwards asking for that one year. I, so it reminds me of that. I mean, it seems like it seems like if you drive the ninety nine, you just might might be you get sick behind the ninety nine. I don't know. And maybe you're going to win a few races. Let's hope so. Hey, I let's let's hope Suarez wins some races because I love what Trackhouse is doing. I was surprised that Bubba didn't do as well as I expected, but he's not that great of a road racer. But was I guess Homestead's going to be the. Didn't Holmes he run up be the first, true first test? I think he ran up a decently uh, in the top fifteen, but he had a he flat spotted a tire. Yeah, that, that lost. I think he, he either flat spotted the tire, or the tire blew, and it kind of screwed up the whole front fender and after, the left front fender. And after that, it was over. Yeah, the whole race was over, and that's what can happen. You spend too much time on pit road, you lose too much track position. It's it's over. You're not going to recover, especially if something like that happens in stage one on a road course. It's going to be pretty hard to recover. Um, it's it's doable. I'm not saying it's not doable, but unless your car is still handling fine after the fact, it's you're just going to try and get the best finish you can. So, but that, that's what I was surprised. I think that, but yeah, the true test for how some of these new teams are doing, especially Trackhouse and 2311, is going to be next week at Homestead because then we're going to see how they're going to stack up on 
the types of tracks that we're going to keep going to for the rest of the season. I know we're going to, I guess, a few less cookie cutters than years prior, but I still think mile and a half comprise most of the schedule. So, yeah. All right. Well, with that, let's move on to the upshift downshift segment. Um, for those of you, this might be your first time listening. Uh, we'll tell you how it works. For those of you who, who are listening every week, listen multiple times, you know how it works. But you upshift, you agree. Downshift, you disagree. We throw it into neutral. means we kind of don't care or we just don't have enough information to come to a uh, d- decision where we want to shift one way or another. Uh, we'll, uh, this week, we kind of have, have a hypothetical here. Uh, but sometimes we'll have hypothetical. Sometimes it's real news-related uh, questions or sometimes it's race events that happen so with that said let's get going here uh first question ben rhodes will be one of the championship four drivers in the truck series at phoenix raceway in november do you upshift or downshift rob i'm gonna upshift because especially if it keeps scoring playoff points it keeps getting stage wins this kind of happens that's gonna definitely help his stock going into November, and I think that uh, he's already got two wins. He's got back-to-back wins to start off the season, so that, again, puts him at an already a bigger advantage. So even after the points reset, I think I would think that if he keeps producing at this level, even if he doesn't keep winning, as long as he keeps winning stages and, and gaining playoff points, I think that uh, it's going to be really hard to not have him in your championship for come November. I can't find anything wrong with what you said, but I'm going to downshift. I just... I, oh. I, I I know I took a hard right turn there. I'm 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 I I can't pull the trigger on him being in, in the championship four. Not saying he can't do it. I just I just I just don't see it. I I think there's a couple guys out there. I think you're probably going to see a couple GMS guys. I think he's got teammate Matt Crafton in there. That's that's a little more tough on that one. I think he I think John Hunter Niemczak's going to be tough to be to beat. Um, but there's still three other drivers that could be in there. I know, I know, but I, I, I think I think he's just going to miss. Only, it. You only yeah, mentioned yes. like two or three other drivers: Crafton and John Hunter Nemechek I, I and a GMS driver, probably Sheldon Creed. I think Creed and Smith. I think Creed and Smith. I wouldn't be surprised if Brett Moffitt finds his way in there. I know the, the Nice Motorsports cars didn't, or trucks didn't run that well last year, but I think Brett Moffitt's going to throw. You have Austin Hill as well. I think there's just a well, couple Austin guys Hill, that I would a be rough a little. Start the season though, he's had a rough start. But remember, he kind of had a rough 2019 after winning the Daytona. And yeah, then he a rough stretch there. there boom, he's over there. But again, this is the other thing that I have to keep reminding you of is it's possible. Can And this is the thing. When NASCAR invented stage points and created the stage racing, they did this specifically because fans were upset that the most consistent driver was not the champion in each season's end. Right. As long as you're winning stage points and finishing top 10 every week, there's no reason why you can't walk right into Phoenix. Now I almost said Homestead Phoenix and have a shot at the championship. As long as you're doing that week in, week out, which so far, as of two races, Ben Rhodes has been doing, as long as you're doing that, it's really hard for you not to get to Phoenix in a championship position. I'm still going to, I still want to downshift. I think you may, I think he's going to be that guy who just misses out. I really do. I'm sorry, Ben, but surprise me, please. Surprise me. I, I want, I, I, uh, you know, prove me wrong. I mean, I, I understand it's only been two races, yeah. so we do have to. I guess I guess I got to break backpedal a little bit because it only has been two races, but still, even then, the guy's got a 100 percent win rate so far. I can't. 
I know. I know. I just, I, I just, it, it's like, where do you go between what your heart says, what your gut says, and what the statistics say? You're trying to, I'm trying to go into a, into like, make a decision go. based on both of those, and my decision is still, it seems likely, at, given what has happened in the past and given what we know, it seems likely. All right. I mean, I, I'm glad we disagree. We disagreed last week on Brad Keselowski, but let's move on to question two. In a future NASCAR schedule, Sonoma should be included in the West Coast swing. The future Half Mile Auto Club Speedway should be moved to the playoffs, and Richmond should be relocated to midsummer. Do you upshift or downshift? I would actually upshift this. I'm still sad about the idea of a future Half Mile Auto Club Speedway because I still. Look. I'm not sold on that thing yet. It still kind of makes me sad because I like the way Auto Club is kind of like about speed and they have, and it's still a good track. It puts some good racing, but I understand they're going to have to repave it and then the racing is going to be bad again. But I, I will at the very least upshift the idea of Sonoma being included in the early season West Coast wing specifically so that we get a green Sonoma. Um, that's really what I just want. I'm I, I, not saying that, you know, Brown Sonoma isn't, isn't good or anything. It's fine. It's just, you know, green grass is always much more appealing than dead grass. So I'm going to take the road course race at the appealing looking Sonoma motors, Sonoma raceway. Uh, but at the same time, Richmond in the midsummer, you can do it as long as it's a night race. Um, I think they've learned their lesson on that one. Yeah, you have to have Richmond as a night race. It doesn't work unless it's a night race, unfortunately, anymore. Um, the day races were cool because they were novelties. Because it was kind of like a, a, a diff, like it's kind of like this backwards feeling where you know most races are run during the day, and then they get like that one night race. Like you have a night race at Darlington, you're like, oh hey, this is cool. Mm-hmm. Um, but after a while, it's like, all right, we can go back to the day race now. Richmond, it was like, okay, all the races are at night. Now we're going to have a race during the day. Okay, that's kind of cool. See Richmond during the day. Okay, the racing isn't as good as it is at, at night, and it's too hot, and nobody cares, so let's go back tonight. It, it, you know, um, you, you end up, the novelty wears off after a while, and I, I think the novelty would probably wear off uh, on a day Richmond race in the summer, but probably not a night race. Again, I, see, here's the thing. I'm going to upshift. I'm, I'm not even going to upshift into like fourth gear. I'm not. I'm just going to upshift gradually because I'm sorry. I'm still not sold on turning and redeveloping the Auto Club Speedway into a half mile circuit. I just, I just don't like that idea yet. I feel like I understand why they do it, but I just don't feel like it's the right thing to do to that track. So I, I feel like they should invest more money into a different into another short track like an Irwindale or something that would be struggling already instead of trying to redevelop an already relatively successful racetrack into something else uh i don't know but that's so that's that's how it's ultimately my answer is that yeah i like that because of green sonoma but i don't like that because of its auto club speedway as a half mile in the playoffs let's say auto club speedway in the playoffs is a two and a half two mile oval We've seen it happen once, didn't work out, so no. So that's why I'm going to still shift it into third or something. I'm going to say yes on half, 
but no on on the other quarter or third, excuse me. I wrote the question, so yeah, I'm going to upshift. I like it for multiple reasons. One, I like the Green Sonoma. I think it'd be really cool to go there. So that's part of that. I like having a road course this early in the season. Um, and we're not going to get Sonoma in the playoffs as well as the Roval. Two road courses in the playoffs, I just don't, this is not going to happen. The Roval needs to stay where it is. Yeah, exactly. So Sonoma, move that to the West Coast swing and be a part of Las Vegas and in Phoenix. Move Auto Club to the playoffs because I think it's important to get California in early. And then also it needs to be a part of the playoffs, especially if it's going to be in a short track where NASCAR can put on, you know, arguably its best racing. I think that the idea that they have, you know, to have Martinsville length straightaways and Bristol banked corners is fantastic. I really like this idea. Um, And then the biggest problem that NASCAR has had on its schedule for decades is that there is not a short track in the summer at all. For years, we went from April to August without a short track. Think about that. Did they not run like a midsummer race at Wilkesboro? No, Wilkesboro was like April and September. Really? Yes, in October, that time frame. Huh. For, and I don't think we've had a, maybe a summer date short track since Nashville Fairgrounds was last on the schedule. In fact, I won't even look it up. I'm not going to waste too much time. But that's where it's been at least three and a half decades since we've had a short track in the middle of summer. That is the biggest gap. And when the 2021 schedule came out and there was not a short track in the summer, I was a little disappointed because that is, that's a huge missed opportunity to me, huge missed opportunity. So Richmond, I think is, I'm sorry, the kind of the perfect one for that, because I think Bristol and Martinsville, Martinsville is a fantastic penultimate racetrack bristol is fantastic and all in itself and then you have to have auto club it's los angeles it's hollywood it's it's a, it's just glitz and glamour i think that needs to be in the playoffs and not richmond itself so that's why i do that uh, that's why i upshift i upshift because completely i understand you know you're not liking the the changes that are going to happen there we're both we're, we're both sad to see that see that happen uh, next question here the first two NASCAR Cup Series races in 2021 have, have produced two first-time winners. A total of five drivers in 2021 will be first-time winners. Do you upshift or downshift? Um, I'm actually going to upshift this because I think it's entirely possible that we can get three more first-time winners. Uh, it's a long season, obviously. There's plenty of opportunities. There's plenty of unknowns going into this next uh, this this season in general. There's a lot of new tracks. There's a lot of uh, new ways that NASCAR is going to be doing things. I think it's entirely possible. I'm not going to rule it out. I really do think that we could get at least three more for first-time drivers. I will upshift it. Um, you know, I didn't think Michael McDowell or Christopher Bell was going to win this early, but it's happened. So, again, going off statistics, I'm not saying someone new is going to win next week at Homestead. They might, but I doubt it. Um, but I, I do think that at the very least, we could probably get some first-time winners on some of the road courses, at the very least. This one's a tough one, because I think it's either going to be four or five. At the end of the season, I really do think it's going to be four or five. I think Tyler Reddick and Bubba 
will will win races this year. I really, yeah, I think Bubba's due for one. Bubba's due for one, especially again next week is going to be. I should say this weekend at Homestead is going to be the first true test for twenty three eleven to see where their pace is with the other cars. Because yeah. okay, great, you could build a good super speedway car. That's cool. A lot of people can. It's the ones you spend the most time and money into. Okay, your road course package, you had a bad race, whatever. It happens. It's a road course. Show me how you're going to do on a mile and a half. Because once you show out, and I, I'm going to look at track house the same way, not just 2311. Track house as well is going to be in there. It, I'm going to hope that Daniel Suarez can replicate these. I mean, he's had some top 15 finishes. I'm hoping, or he had a top 15 finish. He didn't have a top 15 finish at Daytona, but at the road course he did. So I'm hoping, you know, if you keep that up, if your if if your road course pace is any indication, maybe their their top fifteen at least track house is top fifteen on uh, regular mile and a half. We'll see. Again, Bubba Suarez, Reddick, obviously those three guys could be in contention. You know, road courses are possibilities. You still have two Talladega races and one more Daytona race. Right. Anything's possible. I think short tracks are kind of wild cards too, and Bubba's really good out of them. So I'm going to upshift, but I'm slightly reluctant to, but it is a long season. If we're talking, you know, race 10 into the season and we've had two first-time winners, it's a different story. We have 34 points races still to go. All right, next question here. Kind of the big talking point. Uh, do you upshift or downshift for next Netflix's new show, The Crew, Rob? All right, so here's my review after watching the pilot. Uh, it's 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 pretty good. It's not. I mean, it's a sitcom. It it, it has some good jokes. The setup, the premise, all of it's it's believable. Um, there's a few editing issues that. I expected, but at the same time, I'm disappointed to see. Like in the first episode, in the very first episode, they show they're at Martinsville, and then the next thing you know, they're like at a speedway, and I'm like, wait, what? And then reference the fact that they were at Martinsville again later in the episode, but again, all the footage from that race was clearly at like Kansas, so I, I that bothered me, I guess. Um, but that's a minor nitpick. I mean, Talladega Knights had that too. Days of Thunder had that too. Yeah. Those are just minor nitpicks. Um, but I at the same happen, time, unfortunately, yeah, those are minor nitpicks. I just kind of expected, I maybe expected something like that to be a little bit more closely vetted, I guess is the word. But I'm not like surprised that it wasn't. Um, outside of that, you know, Kevin James is Kevin James. He's you either like him or you don't. I mean, did you like Paul Blart Mall Cop and whatever he else was what was he in? Um well, he was in a sitcom for years. No, the sitcom. King of Queens. King of Queens, that's what it was. My grandpa you loved know. that show. My grandpa you know, if you like Kevin James, then yeah, the show's pretty good. I don't know any of the other character actors. I, I genuinely don't know the other any of the characters. The driver character Wikipedia pages. Yeah, no kidding, right? The driver character is pretty funny. I think it's kind of funny to have a dumb as dirt driver, I guess. But that, I mean, 
I'm not I'm, I'm not comparing it to Talladega Nights, but that's what that's the vibe it gives me. You know, it's like it's trying to go for that vibe, but it's also trying to be its own thing. Does that make sense? Like yeah. it's like they watched Talladega Nights and said, "Hey, we can make something like that, but let's try really hard to make it not seem like we're ripping it off." And this is the result. You know what I mean? It's not I, a bad I, I, thing. I can understand that. I can understand where you're coming from. It's not a bad thing that they would do that. And it seems like Kevin James, for the most part, appears to be knowledgeable about racing. I mean, clearly, if he's an executive producer on this thing, he must want to do it. He must yeah. want to make this show. He must want to tell the story, which is great. Which is great. I'm, I'm happy that he wants to tell the story and NASCAR was on board in helping him tell the story. That's great. I've only seen one episode. First episodes usually aren't that great. I'm going to have to watch a little bit more. But from my first uh, impression, I would probably upshift it and say, yeah, this is something that could. It's going to introduce new fans to NASCAR and get them interested in it. I would hope in, I guess, a, a more subtle way than Talladega Nights did. Talladega Nights was kind of like in your face. This is a parody. You know, like NASCAR fans, at least smart NASCAR fans, you should have known going in that this was going to be a parody and you're going to end up laughing at yourself. Like if you did not laugh at yourself when you watched Talladega Nights, you were not watching it properly. Correct. You know, this is another situation where you're not necessarily laughing at yourself. You're kind of laughing at the situations that could arise in a NASCAR team if all of these factors were possible were happening right so you know some of the characters are funny the premise the setup it has potential again i've only seen one episode so i'm not the best person to talk about but initially yeah i'm going to upshift it and say that i think people who like that kind of comedy who like sitcoms and who like nascar are gonna very much enjoy it i'm an animated animated guy i'm i love animation i don't watch a lot of sitcoms i'm sorry i watched the last sitcom i watched the neighbors abc canceled it on a cliffhanger and i've never forgiven them and so i just kind of have for- fallen out of love with the idea of getting attached to a sitcom because i don't want that to happen again yeah. you know i got attached to the neighbors i watched it every night and then they started moving it around and it got harder for me to watch it and then i f- saw the final episode of season two and that was a la- it and it was a cliffhanger and i'm just i'm not over it i think it's on dvd i don't know if someone wants to send me the neighbors on dvd i love you forever because it took it off hulu i think it's still on abc but again if that's your if that's your speed that's great but for me personally my favorite nascar tv show is going to stay nascar racers but that's just because i'm an animation guy i like animated programming i don't really watch sitcoms as much as people other people do i watch animation but if this is your flavor i got no real negative things to say about it outside of one or two minor nitpicks so I'm going to have to go ahead and upshift that. I think it'll be a good thing for the sport. And I think anybody who enjoys it, my fiance likes it. So if she likes it, then I can't see, I can't say any reason why anyone else wouldn't. So go for it. If you got Netflix, go for it. I would, I, I recommend watching the crew. I upshift too. I would, I, I can admit, I think Rob, you and I talked about it. I can't remember our conversation exactly where you sat on the fence, but we were skeptical about this because you know, we were worried that, you know, when you think about this, think about this, the past few NASCAR things that are big screen, small screen that have come out, haven't put NASCAR in the best light. You know, you think of Logan Lucky. I mean, yeah, I was come just on. about to say that. 
I, I didn't even watch that movie all the way through. I quit watching it. Um, then you had Herbie Foley Loaded. All right. That was, okay. that, now, that was that's a good kids movie. But as it's someone not, who was 10 in 2006, yeah. I thought it was cool. As someone who's now 25, it's not as cool as it was. But to a 10-year-old when it came out, it was cool. Yes, but that's I can understand that when you're trying to get the the people like our age, you're trying to get that twenty five year old group. They're, a bunch of twenty five year olds aren't going to go see Herbie fully loaded in the theaters unless you're they just might a huge for Lindsay group. Lohan. I don't know. Um, and then you had Talladega Nights, which was just like you know, again, you said a parody. And I think I've watched I've watched the the entire of the crew. I watched it all. Holy cow! Yeah, How I did watched you do it all. that. Oh no, I just did. I can't I binge it. watch. I, I watch it. I, I can binge watch like no one's business. It's bad. Um, it, but I liked it. I actually put it somewhere. I won't. I won't do any spoilers here. But I actually put it somewhere between Days of Thunder and Talladega Nights. That's kind of like if you were to, if you were to put benchmarks out, that's where I'd put it. It's like serious, like Talladega Nights, but it also has good jokes and funny plot humor and writing, like Talladega Nights, is what you're kind of getting. Yeah, at. yeah. There's, there's, there's enough like seriousness and like backstory with uh, Kevin James's character that you feel like it's a, you know, it, it's that Days of Thunder deal. But then you have the jokes and the comedy and and the antics that are on Talladega Nights level. They're a little bit because I mean again it's a parody. This isn't a parody it's a sitcom. It's a sitcom level. They're joke. not parodying NASCAR. They're trying to tell a story yeah, about trying silly to characters that. trying to run a NASCAR team. Exactly. Which isn't so much as a parody. It's a sit situation comedy. You put exactly. pe- these random people who you would never put together in some situation, aka a race team, and comedy plays out. Yeah. Exactly. I liked it a lot. I think it's good. Um, I hope, I still think NASCAR needs its own version on a mainstream wide availability drive to survive. Um, yeah, but you're still on Netflix, which most of the country has now over cable. Exactly. So and I, think I, I'm, I feel like the last holdout. I think this I is a really cable. good. I still have cable, excuse me. I think this is a really good introduction for people, especially when. Netflix has lost so much content, and if you're wanting to stay on Netflix and wanting to keep it, I think this is a good show for you to watch. And I think it's like you said, you, you'll get a few fans out of this one, I'm sure. Um, and I think Kevin James is a good guy to, to to play the role. Again, skeptical. I was very, very, very pleasantly surprised. So Netflix, thank you for proving me wrong. Thank, thank you for making. Me and many others look like total idiots on Twitter and in, in, in social media and just in general conversation. Cool. You proved us wrong. So thank you. I upshift. I hope for see there is a season two and I can't wait to watch it. You know, you so. mentioned that it being like Drive to Survive, though. But I will say the one positive that Netflix has going for it. And this is why I can't understand Netflix. I don't get it. I don't. There's people out there who only have Netflix, and that's it. They don't have any other kind of television. They don't even have an antenna. They don't even have an antenna, and I, I don't understand how people do that. But there are people out there who will literally watch the entire Netflix library because they're so starved for stuff to binge watch that people who are not Formula One fans will watch Drive to Survive because it's just something new, and they've seen the whole rest of the catalog 20 times that they're bored. They want something new. So they watch that, and they're like, oh, Formula One is cool. I have a feeling that the same thing will happen here. People will be like, I'm desperate for something to binge watch because half of Netflix 
the library has gone to other places now. Yeah. I gotta find, and they'll just watch it. It's like they just put it on. They don't, they don't care what it is. Like there's, I, I've gone to people's houses, and I'll be like, "So what are you watching?" And he's like, "I don't know. It's just on Netflix. It's a new show. I've started to get into it." I was like, "Are you interested in it?" No. Why are you watching? This is this is how people watch television now. I don't get it. I feel like an old weird fuddy duddy who just likes to put on one TV show and call it a day. But one thing okay. before I move on, I did want to make note of this. No, not too much spoiler here, but I like the setting, the way they made the setting look. I, I mean, I thought it was going to go really old school looking and sort of traditional looking, but instead they went with a very modern look, and I like that. Um, it's not. It's believable. To a degree, but obviously some NASCAR fans and and uh, uh, or, or really, I think most NASCAR fans and NASCAR team people are going to realize, okay, maybe this isn't too so much believable, but it is believable. It is, after all, fictional in a sitcom. That I mean, how do you think actual physicists and scientists feel about the Big Bang Theory? I mean, it's it's very good. It's probably about the same. I mean, it's they probably think it's funny, but yeah, it's not an accurate representation of our work. That's Correct. probably how most race fans or people involved in racing are going to approach the crew i would assume right all right final question here i think this is i think that 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 one was the big one this is the big one part two here all right rob nascar should make the daytona international speedway road course a permanent addition to each of the top three divisions calendars and include it with daytona speed weeks do you upshift or downshift you had me until included with Daytona Speed Weeks. I just like, yeah, like I'm cool. You know, actually, what would be a cool thing is if they want to keep this whole. Someone actually, someone suggested this, and I, I'm giving this person, this unnamed person, they know who they are if they're listening to this. Um, this person credit for this idea, but what they should really do is if they're hell bent on keeping the 400 in August, which is stupid. Uh, and instead of keeping it and putting it back to July, what they should do is the July 4th should now be a Daytona road course, because that way, if it rains, who cares? The racing's just better. Um, and that should be its permanent date. I don't think it should be a part of speed weeks, but I do think it at the very least has earned a spot, a permanent spot on our schedule. Um, but I would actually prefer to see it, uh, in a situation kind of like that, where it fills the slot, um, in it, it, it fills a spot in this calendar that maybe there's not many road races or something. I understand that we're going to a road horse uh, on July 4th anyway, but I would probably prefer that to be at Daytona because I would prefer to be at Daytona during July anyway. And especially if we're if they moved it because it rains too much, well, if you put it on the road course, then rain is the great equalizer. Everybody will want to come. Everybody will want to watch this thing. If it rains, great. That just means better racing, better action, more craziness. More people are going to watch. That's my honest opinion. So that's why I'm going to up. I'm going to upshift. But on if I upshift, I want the condition that I can say we could drop the included with Daytona Speedweeks because I think the class should go back to being on the oval. I still think that, and I will still think that firmly because when we start Daytona Speed Week, I want to see 200 miles an hour pack racing. I don't want to see a speed. I don't. I don't want to see a road course yet. I don't. I just don't want to see that yet. I already saw that the 24 hours of Daytona. That got me already ready enough. I need to see some 200 mile an hour pack racing. I don't. I don't want to see road racing in February. I want to see it. I want to see it in you know the January or at the very least in March, but not in February. I'm going to do a selfish plug, as you have done before, Rob. I might have done this before, too. 
but I mentioned this in my Xfinity Series breakdown on frontstretch.com. This needs to happen. The racing at the road course was fantastic, and I want to include it in Daytona Speed Weeks. I agree that the clash should be on the oval, um, but I, the only way it's Daytona Speed Weeks anymore is if you stretch it all the way back to January, and then you include all this stuff going on at Volusia and New Smyrna. Now, okay, now it's Daytona Speed Weeks, but Daytona Speed Weeks NASCAR edition was Daytona five-sevenths of a week, all right? <laughs> Six-sevenths of a week, technically, but it was a week. It was a less than a week. I would love to see this thing. I wouldn't even mind, blow everyone's mind here, won't ever happen, but I wouldn't even mind opening the series season on the road course and then going to Daytona if that was necessary. But I do like the idea of running the Daytona 500, staying in Daytona, and running the road course the following weekend. I really do. Um, this, there's, the racing was really well, really good. I know everyone's fear would be, hey, um, what about there being now seven road courses on the schedule in, in, instead of six? We already have six. I say put Indy back on the oval. Um, please. Yes, please. That, I don't think that's a We're permanent. begging you. I don't think that will be a permanent long thing. I think drivers and teams will have something to say about that. But um, the best case scenario or, is that IMS announces that in 2022, the Brickyard is going back to the Oval and the Freedom 100 is returning. They do that. I don't even care if Formula One doesn't come back for another three, four, five, six years. I don't care. You put those two races back on the proper times on the Ovals. I don't care. I don't care. Roger Penske, I don't care. That's all I'm asking. Um, yeah, I, I agree with that too. But I, I, I really like the idea. I've mentioned in the article, I said this this needs to happen. Um, it, the racing is too good. And I know the, the big question I, I mentioned there, and I'll mention it here. Where do you get where do you take the date from? I'm gonna go crazy. I'm gonna go crazy, Rob. And I will I'm probably on an island by myself on this one. Take the date away from the Bush Clash. It's already the Bush Clash is not the clash. It's supposed to be a 20 lap sprint race on the oval. But now it's a TV filler. It's all about time. It's all about selling. It's almost a truck race. It's almost an ARCA race. I, he's looking at me so creepy. But yes, take the date away from the Bush Clash. And then when you, t- when you renegotiate the TV, the broadcast contract for 25, then you can get the Bush Clash back. I know. I just said the craziest thing I think I've probably ever said here. And I love that Rob is so mad at me bro. right now. You broke my heart, bro. I just said I wanted the, the Bush, Bush Clash. clash. Okay, the Bush Clash starts, gets my whole, it, it excites me. It gets me all excited. I know. I know. I, I understand. I understand. But the Bush Clash has been the Bush Clash for 15 years. All right? It, 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 15 years? 2012. It, it, 2012. <laughs> when was the last time it was 20 laps? Okay. When was the last I time we were talking about quality of racing? And I was no, not quality of racing. I'm talking about the, the it's a supposed to be a sprint race. The purpose that it that it served in 1979 no longer exists. So the only it's just a, it, because there's not anything else to fill for the broadcast because there's not as much practice. Now they've made it a 70 lap exhibition race. It basically practice for 20 some odd lucky drivers and teams who get to use it as a test session instead of. Hey, we're going to go balls to the wall, 20 laps out, winner takes all, no pit stops, no no stage breaks. We're going to race 
It's not that anymore. It's now basically an ARCA race. Move it to the road course. You don't even have to have it at 70 laps on the road course. Put it at 35. Okay, put it at 55. Make it a little longer than an Xfinity race there. And call it a day. And then when you renegotiate the broadcast contract, because it's not, we don't know if they're going to be on TV in 25, but the broadcast contract, then you can get the... um, the Bush clash back and we have 39 events, you know, that, that would be that because obviously the cup date they're, they're locked in. He's already said that, but I think the truck series and Xfinity schedules are a little bit more flexible where they could maybe say, Hey, we can throw a 34th Xfinity race in. we can throw a 23rd truck race. in. there's probably going to be 23 truck races until Tony ripped up the Eldora contract. Um, but you know, my, my point is I like the, I like the road course racing. I think it should be a part of speed weeks. She'd probably in speed weeks. Um, because I, I do think I do really honestly like the concept of Daytona 500 opening up the season and then we staying down there for one for another week and going road course racing. I don't know if you're a fan of road course racing and NASCAR. I don't know what if you didn't like this weekend. I don't know what you like. I honestly don't. Um, the only thing that it, it, the things we didn't like were things that were driver decision and then someone hit the button for the caution too soon. Those are the only things that they complained about this weekend when it came to the racing. That's all I'm going to say about that. Rob, we should probably get moving on here unless you have something real quick to say. Other than, you know, I disagree. I have nothing else to say. I'm going to go get a water. Why don't you go tell us about your featured racetrack? Let's do it. All right. So, Rollers Featured Racetrack here. Uh, Rob shared earlier in the show that Albert Park in Melbourne will be receiving a bit of a facelift before the 20-car uh, Formula One grid arrives in November. Now, I'm not going to discuss Albert Park, at least for today. Maybe I'll discuss it in the future. Rather, I will briefly <laughs> briefly be discussing uh, the location that hosted Formula One Championship Racing before Albert Park, Adelaide. So prior to 1985, Australia hosted 49 non-championship Grand Prix events in various locations, including Phillip Island, Bathurst, Albert Park, and Calder Park. Businessman Bill O'Gorman and uh, South Australian Premier John Bannon uh, put together a proposal with the aim of to bring more flair, as they said, to uh, the state capital. Uh, slightly dull image compared to the bustling uh, atmosphere of Melbourne and Sydney. Um, it was not long after that that delegation sp- uh, Bernie Ecclestone in London and uh, emerged with a seven-year contract for Adelaide to host a Formula One Championship Grand Prix. Uh, interesting enough, a few laws actually had to be passed to allow auto racing to take place on the streets. Uh, Victoria Park was chosen as the site for the race. Uh, the state put civil servant Dr. Mal Hemmerling in charge of the project and engineer Bob Bernard Barnard, uh, uh, who was uh, engaged to create a course. Uh, which incorporated a purpose-built section of road uh, in the center of the race course uh, and the use of the surrounding city roads. Federal and state grants were obtained to fund the project. Wow, it goes all the way back to then. Sad. Uh, that saw This project saw the construction of 2100, over 2,100 concrete barriers, over four miles of wire fencing, and temporary pit buildings and grandstands uh, that could be disassembled and reassembled each year with ease and stored with ease as well. On November 3rd, 1985, the inaugural Australian Grand Prix on the Formula One calendar took place. 
and was coincidentally, uh, if you didn't figure it out already, the 50th Australian Grand Prix in history. The circuit was well-received and uh, much better than some expected, particularly after street circuits like Las Vegas, Detroit, and Dallas had flopped in the recent years. K.K. Rosberg walked uh, to victory in his Honda-powered Williams. Only nine of the 25 cars uh, were running at the time of the finish. However, eight were classified as Martin Brundle driving a Tyrrell Ford Cosworth was not classified as he was 33 laps down. Uh, he would, um, on the official uh, finishing order, he was classified 13th. Uh, Alain Prost uh, won his first of four championships officially following the race. Uh, having wrapped up the championship some races before. Uh, the organizers of the Australian Grand Prix that year uh, won the Formula One promotional trophy for race promoter. Uh, Bernie uh, even went as far to say uh, that the event was so well organized that it would be bad for Formula One because it would raise the standards for future Grand Prix and circuits. I think he was probably right about that. Um, when you look at the flair and of the event it is and all of itself and the circuits and it's, you know, just grandioseness, it's, it's definitely, uh, it's definitely set the stakes. If you, if you traces it back to 85 there in Australia, I think he was right. Uh, in spectacular fashion, uh, in 1986, Adelaide was once again, the season finale. Uh, and it was a three-way battle for the championship between Nigel Manziel, Nelson Piquet and Alain Prost. Uh, Manziel started on pole, but with a poor start, enabled teammate uh, PK and Ayrton Senna, as well as KK Rosberg, to overtake him and demote him to fourth. Uh, by the end of the first lap, uh, he needed to finish third to win the championship. On lap uh, seven, Rosberg, uh, in his final Grand Prix, took the lead from PK. However, Rosberg retired with a puncture on lap 63, handing the lead back to lead back to PK. Uh, and elevated Manziel to third place. One lap later, Manziel's race ended as his left rear tire exploded on the main straight with 19 laps remaining. The title was then between PK and Prost, with Prost needing to finish ahead of PK to successfully defend his title. Following the tire failures of Rosberg and Manziel, the Williams team called PK in for a precautionary tire change, leaving him 15 seconds behind. Uh, he made a late charge to close a gap to just over four seconds, but Prost took the victory uh, to win his second title and go the first to go back-to-back -back world champion since Jack Brabham did in 1959 and 1960. That one I had to double-check. I'm like, really? There wasn't a double back-to-back uh, -back world champion for that long? But, yeah, there was. Another memorable moment occurred in 1991 when Ayrton Senna won uh, Formula One's shortest ever race after torrential downpours. I won't go into details because I'm going to do something special later this year uh, before the 2021 Australian Grand Prix and possibly, probably before. Um, I won't say what it is or describe it here, but I will be doing something special multiple times probably. Uh, we'll have to see about that. Uh, but I wanted to share this note. Uh, the 1991, uh, 1991 was the final season that Senna, Prost, Manziel, and PK competed together. The four of them won 93 of 112 Grand Prix races between 1985 and 1991. That's a lot. That's a very, I don't, they're not going to do the percentage here. I didn't do the percentage. That's a, that's a pretty staggering amount of races. Um, in 1993, Ayrton Senna scored his 41st and final career Formula One Grand Prix victory in the Australian Grand Prix on November 7th, before he tragically lost his life on May 1st in 1994 in Emola. 
Cena bested longtime rival and 1993 world champion Alain Prost one final time in what was the final race they competed in together. Prost Williams teammate Damon Hill finished third. Jean Alessi, Gerard Berger, and in a Ferraris, they finished fourth and fifth. And Martin Brundle's uh, Ligier rounded out the point uh, finishers. They only had only top six earned points back then. Uh, the race was short, uh, shortened from 81 laps to 79 due to two false starts. Ricardo Patrese retired from the Grand Prix from Grand Prix racing following this uh, this race with a then record of 256 career Grand Prix starts, a record that has since been bested by eight drivers, with Kimi Raikkonen currently sitting at 329 and counting. He leads that. A few other notes uh, from the 1993 Australian Grand Prix were the last without refueling until the 2020 uh, 2010 season. Excuse me. Uh, last victory in pull from McLaren until 1997. Final podium for Senna. He did not make it on the podium in uh, his first two races of the uh, 94 season. The last race for electronic driver aids, including fully automatic gearboxes, traction control, launch control, ABS, and active suspension, which were all banned f- uh, for 1994 until the former three aids were made legal and reintroduced by the F- FIA in 2001 Spanish Grand Prix and then rebanned again in 2008 for that season. Uh, Formula One competed at Adelaide 11 times before the Australian Grand Prix relocated to Melbourne in the 1996 season. In the final race, Damon Hill drove his Williams FW17 to victory in what was his 13th of 22 career wins. And uh, as of this recording of this podcast, on uh, February 22nd, 23rd, 2021, uh, it's the last time a Formula One race winner lapped the entire field. And Hill did it twice that day in November. So he was two laps ahead of everybody. Uh, the race also saw an estimated 205 to 210,000 spectators, an F1 record at the time. And it would stand until the 2000 United States Grand Prix at Indianapolis, which drew uh, 250,000 plus. Uh, so that's it for Adelaide today. There's plenty more to talk about for Formula One, let alone the supercars history that came afterward, um, which I didn't touch today. And of course, uh, remember to mark your calendars as I will have a special, which will probably be, you know, again, I'll, I'll probably do this before that, before this race, but just throwing it out there. Um, November 15th is when I will discuss the, uh, the 91 race in detail and you'll find, figure out what's going on then. Uh, before okay. that, yeah. Um, Racing Circus at Info, Sky History Channel, and Racing Reference helped with today's rollers featured racetrack. So that's it uh, for uh, for that little piece. Again, just very brief. There's a lot more to discuss around that track, just in general. Uh, Rob, anything you want to add before we get into what's in the windshield? I don't really think I have anything to add. I'm ready to go look ahead at what's on this weekend. All right, so we're just over a month away from the start of the 2021 Formula One World Championship when the season kicks off in Bahrain on March 28th. Formula E begins its 2020-2021 and inaugural World Championship season in Saudi Arabia with a pair of races on February 26th and 27th. That's this weekend. Uh, the Finally. 20- yeah, by the right. way, hey, by the way, those races are going to be on CBS Sports Network instead of FS1 or 2 now. Forgot to mention, don't forget that the Formula E rights changed hands over the offseason. Good point. Thanks for that plug. Uh, the 2021 
NTT IndyCar Series is inching closer, but not soon enough for for most, including us two. We're ready for IndyCar to get on track. Uh, it will begin on April 18th, about a month later than usual, at Barber Motorsports Park in Alabama. This weekend, the NASCAR Xfinity Series races at Homestead Miami Speedway on uh, Saturday, February 27th, and then the Cup Series races on Sunday, February 28th. Remember, the Camping World Truck Series no longer races at Homestead this season after the schedule shakeup with Auto Club being dropped and its race being relocated to Daytona Road Course uh, this past weekend. So, hey, thanks for listening. Uh, we hope you enjoyed today's show. We went a little bit longer than we wanted to today. But we had a, we, went, we had a couple rants and uh, long uh, points to make. We both did. That's We've still gone happen. shorter than last week's show. We did go shorter so. than last week's show. We're, so we're, we're going in the right direction. Um, so thanks for, for thanks for uh, tuning in, whether you're listening to this on one of the podcasts and networks or if you're listening to this on YouTube. Uh, thank you for tuning in. Uh, let us know how we're doing. Leave comments. Uh, tweet at uh, us. Um, our socials are uh, for Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook are all at Robin Roller, R-O-B-A-N-D-R-O-L-L-E-R. Rob's Twitter, the easiest way to get a hold of us too, is going to be on Twitter. Uh, Rob is at R P E E T E R S 33. That's Rob Peters 33. I'm at roller underscore zero one R O L L E R underscore zero one. Um, let us know, let us know on the uh, socials how we're doing on the comment sections. Um, we love your feedback, and also if you have anything to uh, play along with, with on the upshift, downshift, the feature paint schemes, um, or you have suggestions, let us know. Uh, and so uh, enjoy your week, wear your masks, uh, remain, uh, continue to remain safe, Certainly. do your part. We seem to be turning in the right direction again. Um, so uh, for this for this episode, all right, uh, for Rob Peters, I'm Josh Roller, and this was the Racing with Rob and Roller podcast. Have a great weekend, everybody. We'll see you next week.